Happy Halloween from Jokerman Podcast. It's Evan. And today is the most important day of my life. And I'm so happy to tell you that I'm not alone. I have not Ian today, but uh, a, a brave soldier um, and fellow Scottist. Oh, yeah. You may know Hessa as Claire Penis from X.com, Seeking Derangements podcast, or I guess, are you like the Gene Siskel or are you the Roger Ebert of Movie Mindset podcasts? I think both, I think Will and I are both kind of the Siskels of the podcast. I think it's a double Siskel. <laughs> it's a two Siskel affair. <laughs> Yeah, one one of the Sisk one of the genes, one of yeah. the Gene Siskels from the great movie mindset podcast has a. I guess I just knew that I could call on you for this because I saw that you tweeted some things about how this is an important work of art to you. Yes, I should say that we're talking about Bish Bosh, Scott Walker's album from. 2012 the masterpiece the great masterpiece and the final in a trilogy of great masterpieces but for my money it's kind of the it's the last word um on words but what what's your history with scott walker and how did you come to this my history is that in high school i really loved like all the self-titled scott albums just how beautiful and like strange and weird they are. I think I discovered him because of the movie Bronson, which has the electrician is in yeah. it. Yeah. And I really loved that movie and I was like, "Oh wow, this guy's really good and cool." And then um in college, one of my friends was like, "Oh, you like Scott Walker? You got to listen to Bish Bosh." You like Scott Walker, don't you, Squidward? <laughs> <laughs> you like Scott Walker, don't you, Squidward? Yes, exactly. I was, and I I listened to it and I hated it at first. I was like, "What is this?" But then I listened to it again much later, like not much later, but like a month later, and I was like, "Oh no, wait! This is like the best thing I've ever. This is like the best thing ever. This is so cool." I I think that this is kind of like the spiritual heart of Jokerman podcast in a way because. That was definitely the first time I encountered the late career work of an artist who I liked that was so life-changing for me uh, to the degree that it like utterly paradigm-shifted my, my view of like what it means to be a late, an old person making music. Yeah. I, I remember someone posted on Twitter recently like, name a single artist who was good in like the 70s or 80s or good or popular who's made like a good album in the 20 in like the 20th in the last like 20 years and i had to make a meme where i put a picture of scott walker and i wrote "Uh oh looks like you just posted cringe on it and i replied and it didn't get as many replies as many likes as i would have enjoyed i kind of get the feeling that there's a weird thing of of people who like really extreme heavy music finding this record and they don't know the early scott stuff and i wonder what what they must what they get out of it because there's so much in the late period scott walker music that i think is actually it only works to its fullest if you know everything that led up to it exactly it's like 
Well, I think there's different access points where you can draw different paths and pull different meanings out of it. Like if you discover Scott from like, I have one friend who discovered Scott Walker from um, the stuff he did with Sun, kind of just because they loved that band. And they were like, who's this guy who's making music with them? Yes, his final record, Soused. Yes. Um, and then they discovered Tilt and The Drift and Bish Bosh. And then they kind of discovered the Scott stuff. And I, I, I really do think you need to see, you know, the weird shit he's doing every once in a while, peeking through on the Scott albums as like a portend and like the incredible, crazy orchestrations and the natural conclusion and like implosion of that in the the final three the trilogy well the final yeah the final trilogy but also i guess for those who don't know the trajectory there is kind of a point the last uh walker brothers album night flights is where you first see some of this really um this darker uh scarier spookier side uh come out and then there's a silence until the 80s with Climate of Hunter. And then there's another great silence until 1995 with Tilt. Um, I, I think that what you said is totally true. And there's also a really interesting thing happening there where people who listen to music that is all spooky all the time, and that's their whole thing, they have this maybe reverse uh, opening up of, of their sensibilities where it's like most people it takes a while to get okay with the the scarier side uh maybe they know scott four or something yeah but but then there's a lot of people i think who like really intense scary stuff and then they you can't help but when listening to this notice that there's something that's not quite all the way scary always just humorless it's absolutely not humorless it's it's, it's silly there's silly parts it's a yeah Absurd humor is as much a part of it as anything, and beautiful moments. It it's a testament to Scott Walker that he, I think he's quoted as saying, like I'm paraphrasing, but like I hate that shit, that stuff that's like always trying to sound heavy. That's not art. It's not art if there's no layers to it. And he's a master of there being layers to what there is here. Bishbosh is like a culmination to the point of like sanity and reason dissolving. It, it absolutely is the singularity of yes. like Dadaism and its absurdity cranked out till like it just stops even being absurd anymore. It's something else. It's there are parts that are just so heavy and so scary, and like there are parts that are you know where it's literal like farting into the microphone and then there are parts where it's like the lyrics are so beautiful they bring a tear to your eye and it's that and it's all balanced in this weird like miasma one of the things i love about this album so much is these points of silence like in transit between like within the songs it it gives the feeling of like being lost in like a a fog like an evil spooky fog and seeing all these beautiful and horrifying and silly things appearing before you kind of it feels like the void like the universe just the it, it really goes for nothing short of the silence of god being the default whenever there's not music yeah 
especially at one point, um, a very intentional move where it was recorded both uh, on tape and digitally, so that there are certain moments where it's not just no sound being recorded, it's literally nothing happening. It's just digital silence. Yeah. Um, but I guess we could just start talking about it because there's a lot to talk about. It's um, so dense. We, we tend to go track to track on Jokerman podcasts and we're going to do the same here. I have right here, this is uh, my, my book. This is Sundog, the collected Ooh. lyrics of Scott Walker. And this is actually a signed copy. Oh my God. Yo. It is one of 300. It is number six. That's so amazing. Number six. That's a low number. Damn. Yeah. He wasn't even tired yet from <laughs> signing. <laughs> this was, he still had pep in his signature. It's a very nice signature. He was like feeling himself when he was yeah. uh, sliding the pen gracefully over this piece and of paper. And he was in the groove. It's not the first one or two. So he was, he was already in the groove. Yeah. It's actually like the perfect one to have. Exactly. Um, and it has lyrics, uh, including all the lyrics to, I think it has every, uh, all of it. And, there's a whole thing at the end, which ostensibly, I, I guess, is the unreleased, unmade record, which is like a whole collection of songs and lyrics that have no music, were never recorded, will never hear. But you do have lyrics here Damn. Um, for the follow-up to Bish Bosh, ostensibly. I can't even imagine. The concept of a follow-up to Bish Bosh is so... It's like imagining what 5D would look like. There's a song on it. That's uh, about, as far as I can tell, it's about the uh, the Boston green head, which I guess was a Egyptian artifact of like a bald eunuch's head, and it's about it's like from the point of view of this Egyptian eunuch statue's head being transported to Boston, and it's like full of you know uh, these phantasmagorical sexual. Egyptian lyrics. I'm buying a copy right now. Yeah, it's that section is just called New Songs 2016-17. I just ordered a book of coffee. <laughs> it's it's really something. Yes. Do you have um the lyrics for the day the conductor died in there? Does it have the check boxes? The the conju- conjugator. Yes. Uh it does. Oh, it's conjugator. actually Yeah, con- it's a weird word. Uh that was We'll get to it, but um, yeah, yeah, it's actually written out as a multiple choice, empty <laughs> bubbles questionnaire. I, I I read that when I was re- when I was researching a little bit, and I was like, oh my god, this, he's so fucking cool. I think there's a lyric on the final record that in the lyric sheet, one lyric is in the form of an iMessage text bubble. <laughs> I really don't know what the story is with that. That's so cool. That's so cool. I guess we can just say before we get into it that like nobody fully understands these songs. Yes. Um, it's impossible. not possible to. But what is so amazing about these songs to me and what's been such a fruitful gift that keeps on giving is that it's not like just weird for weird's sake. There is something being said. There are things that are being talked about and you do get rewarded by looking into what these words are, why they might be showing up, the relationship they have to each other. And 
I've found that I've come to understand things about certain songs, or at least have very tantalizing little glimpses that I think are really there. Yes. There's an emotional core to everything, but also there's this layer of mystery and like imperviousness that um, you really have to both balance the dialectic of wanting and trying to figure out as much as you can and also knowing that you won't and holding that in your head as well and knowing that it's okay and just like enjoying the ride kind of yeah it it's like dream analysis you you will understand it more if you have but you have to like step back not take everything literally and i don't doubt that he knows exactly why the things are in there um on some level and Scott Walker also has said that his songs are spiritual, that they have a, a spiritual element to them. And so who knows what that is, but I think that we can get into what we think it might be. Yes. And with that, the first track on Bish Bosh from 2012, See You Don't Bump His Head. This, I think, is one of the more accessible, one of the more easy-to-understand ones on the album. What do you think? I, I agree. Uh, I, and I think accessible to, to like the sort of uh, extreme music sickos who hear the swirling rumors about the spooky world of later period Scott Walker. And you actually get some red meat like thrown to those people because uh, it starts with this industrial banging yes like 160 beat per minute like (laughs) yeah it's like this thumping which sounds and i think i guess it is just a little clip looped like so that it just incessantly pounds away um and it's really overwhelming yeah the reason why it's understandable lyrically though i think is that it's one of the sparser and more um it's a little bit more one concept yes than the other songs and a lot um it doesn't have as much of scott's extremely extremely broad and esoteric um 
historical and yes. <laughs> language knowledge thrown in at, as kind of a layer of ob- obfuscation. There's a little bit, but, um, you know, definitely not as much as like Zircon or, um, you know, some of the other ones on here. No, that's like the high bar for, I mean, pun intended, high bar yeah. for anything. <laughs> uh, this song, though, I think there's a clue to what it's about in the main refrain uh, and also how it relates to the title, which is not something said in the song. Uh, do you know where the title comes from? I thought the title was like someone um, putting someone in the back of a police car or something is what I pictured. Yes. Yeah, so what it is, is it's exactly, almost exactly that. It's apparently a line that was removed from the film From Here to Eternity when the character played by Frank Sinatra is beaten to death. Someone, as they're carrying him into a car, says, see that his head don't bump. Oh, my God. <gasps> so Fuck. it's about... Uh, as Frank Sinatra as a movie star who's been murdered in the movie and they're like see that you don't bump his head and he's already fucking dead <laughs> and they're putting him <laughs> in the car and the main refrain of the song is while plucking feathers from a swan song uh, he said Scott has said that every record basically after a certain point um, in his late career he's expected acted as if it is his last. Um, and this really feels like it could be his last. Uh, it's definitely the last of a trilogy. Yeah. And so the swan song thing is very apt. Yes. And then, like, the rest of the song in, interspersed between that, like, refrain are these, like, contradictory and, you know... um ominous and scary images of like contrasting birth and death kind of you know like the first lyric is like spring might gently press its thumbs against your eyes it's like um you know the spring is like birth and like rebirth and like flowers and stuff but it's like killing you that well that line reminds me of a line from the drift the record prior to this one which is i think like something about like spring lolling its head against the window like bloody its bloody head against the window is disgusting yeah (laughs) spring obviously is birth and renewal but what are you renewing is i think the question he poses whenever he brings spring into things like this kind of uh like lifting up a rock and seeing squirming life under it uh the kind of gross aspect of nature churning out new organisms uh he doesn't treat it with uh romance yeah it's very base and vile and there's a lot of that like imagery in this and yet he does treat it with romance because it's this almost sexual or erotic gently pressing of thumbs thing yeah there's a lot going on at once there's a beautiful like musicality and like even when the things he's saying are disgusting there's like a a very poetic um like musical cadence to them which i i really love i think he he's like one of my favorite like writers of lyrics ever it's so like it's amazing i'm looking at the lyrics right now and i'm like damn (laughs) so good 
I love when he says Bedelloid rotifers join the chitterling circuit. Yeah. <laughs> which would be like intestines or like chitlins. Yeah. It's and, and did you look up what deloid rotifers are? Yeah, they're like microscopic like microorganisms. <laughs> yeah, found in fresh water. Which also re- refers back to the swan thing. Um this thing of a swan um an image of a swan which would be found perhaps swimming along he has mentioned that there is actually a a swan image built into the song which yeah for sure it is a swan Um, a beautiful swan getting plucked plucked bald there's uh, a couple of my favorites shit might pretzel christ's intestines that's like one of the hardest lyrics ever like you can't no metal band could write a lyric that hard no, because he doesn't do cliches. Yeah. When he says a cobweb melts within a womb, there's nothing, there's nothing particularly uh, aggressive about that. It's just disturbing. Yeah, there's nothing that you can latch onto there. There's nothing like familiar that you can ground yourself with. Um, being crushed from the inside out. And we do get a, a stray sort of... Uh, contemporary-ish uh, political line in here. Rummy flaunts his unmanly dribble. Yeah, It references Donald Rumsfeld. Um, <laughs> and before that, he says, an incontinent is singing Scarpia. Uh, I, I think that he's referring to the villain in an opera. Yes. He's a police chief in the opera. Yeah, who's like trying to <clears throat> blackmail a woman. Into fucking him. Yeah. Another great line is, a tiny laugh dirties everything it touches. And it ends with, I think, one of the more beautiful lines on the whole record. Blast the sheet of jewels horizon to horizon. While plucking feathers from a swan song, a tiny laugh dirties everything it touches. While plucking feathers from a swan song, night stops dripping through the stars. While plucking feathers from a swan song, blast the sheet of jewels horizon to horizon. While plucking feathers from a swan song It's so good. It's so evocative. The the song itself, I think, is a joke. It, yeah. It's a joke at his own expense, which is not the only time that's going to happen here. Oh, yeah. The centerpiece of the record is kind of also that. Um, but we will get there. Uh, it does say, as a little annotation here in Sundog, Montgomery Cliff's missing line that was cut from the scene in From Here to Eternity, 
where he's cautioning soldiers who are placing dead Maggio Frank Sinatra in the truck. Why would they cut that line? That's such a good line. Maybe because it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why it's so good. Well, yeah. They they don't have that Scott Scott touch. They don't have that sensibility. Yeah, he understood that this line about, I guess, out of respect... After he's been beaten to death, yeah. Don't don't, uh, don't mess him up. Uh, it's it's genius, and uh, it's obviously there because it's Frank Sinatra, yeah, uh, uh, the popular music crooner, uh, and his fictional incarnation, who's been disrespected. So that's the first song, and. Then, you know, then it gets complicated. Cor de Blois. de Blois, yeah. I believe it is how it would be pronounced, but when you look at it, it, uh, it corpse uh, yeah. comes to mind. So this one, I actually referred to this really, really interesting book for some of my research into, you know, what the fuck is going on at all. Um, a book that I only heard of because I was kind of just looking at Reddit about what people thought about what was happening in certain of these songs. And somebody mentioned that this book was something to check out. I had no idea it existed. It's called Scott Walker and the Song of the One All Alone. And it's by a Scott Wilson. Oh. It's a really full on like philosophy major metaphysical treatise on Scott Walker. A lot of the late period stuff. And um it's exactly what I always wanted to read. I, I was praying that somebody would do this, and some sicko actually did. So thank you, Scott Wilson. That's so good. In, in that uh, chapter on Cor de Blas, geez, we were talking a bit earlier before we started recording about there being references to Nazi war criminals. Yes. This is one of those times, apparently. Yes. My friend was, um, I asked my, one of my friends, like, do you have any insights that I could pass off as my own? And they informed me of the Nazi war criminal references. In this song or some other one? Um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Let me check my texts. The one that I heard or read about in this one was that there's a couple. Um, he says, I'm... I'm wading through blue vacant veins of Stetzing, which is a a town apparently a lot of Nazi war criminals fled to. Yes, my friend said there are a lot of connections in this song between Nazi technology, nuclear reactions, and the Manhattan Project t- tests that happened on Native American land. Yeah, your friend read that book. Really? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is what uh, is said in that chapter. Um, w- the way it starts does have something to do with the uh, atom bomb, I suppose. Hence went and cracked an atom age old egg beneath my nose. Hence went and cracked an atom age old egg beneath my nose the sky clad ash 
was jettisoning the roost I'm bumping into lacorns in the darkness Excuse me Dear God Excuse me so there, he says Adam in it. There you yes, go. There it is. Um, there's, jeez, I've gathered for my own read of the song for the longest time that it was some kind of love song, in, but one that is about being as disgusting as possible. My first read of the song was that it's like a magic school bus tour through a, a decaying body. Uh, that too. Yeah. I'm waiting through The chiseler keeps slipping I, I think that there's a case to be made that it's about more than one body. And well, to your point, there are lines about cholesterol mansions crowded with sulfured air and scimitar sideburn charging on the purple purlius. Then there's these lines, ah, my old scabby sachem a sphincter's tooting our tune, and then this is where we get into the actual... There's farts in this song. Oh, yeah. My, the first time I heard them, I was like, oh, man, he someone should have told him that that synth sound like sounds a lot like a fart. <laughs> I, I remember reading somewhere that there was like a question of, like, how do you do that? How do you make those sounds? And, and there was something of, like, we're not... I don't want to tell you. I think I think it's probably like an additive synthesizer or something because there's this like upsweep sound. There, I've done that before, where I've been like in a music like a, a DAW like app, and I try to make a synthesizer sound like uh, piss going down a drain, and I've gotten it exactly. I've you can get wow, you can make it sound like a lot of sounds like that. But. Yeah, you know, I th- I think that for most cases you'd be right, but I have this creeping feeling that it's not that because, yeah, because this is the Scott, same artist who, yeah. when he has a song, a sound of a donkey, it's a donkey. When there's a sound of a, a sword scraping against another sword, that's what it is. Uh, have you seen the, for the the behind the scenes video of him? Um, like telling the percussionist exactly how he wants him to hit the big hanging side of beef when he was recording the drift. 
Yeah, that's like the famous example. I have to wonder about this fart uh, because of that. Ah, my old scabby satchel, a sphincter's tooting a tune. If only I could pick you. We'd slosh, we'd slide, we'd cling round the Kellogg's floor. Round a Kellogg's floor. Kellogg apparently comes from Kill Hog. It's a Nick. It's a butcher reference. Sloshing around a butcher shop. Yeah. Okay. So they're fucking. They're fucking. And yeah. If only my old scabby satchel. If only I could pick you. And then later, if only I could sip you like flies sip at wide eyes on the desert floor. There's an incredible section after that which is the most beautiful point on the record i think and one where he sounds for all the world like scott walker in his prime heyday during like it could be from scott two three four any of those um that section of we could move to the sticks uh it's amazing it's so beautiful and it does not sound scary for a little bit My sweet Sagamore whiner, face full of drunken tits. If only I could sip you like flies sip at wide eyes on a desert floor. We could move to the stairs. Sales call or in banknotes While the Thames flows black as canopies Let the icy thermals damage round our feet Girl, step out on me I'll step out on you Girl, step out on me I'll step out on you Bish and what more Are dead positions for You're absolutely on your toes at all times Like that section, what sounds like these beautiful strings just tur- it turns into this sort of pathetic squeaking sound uh and then you're back into the darkness another reference to apparently nazi war crimes here the chiseler keeps slipping away there's a sound of a little hammer on a 
stone or something. And apparently there's a nickname given to, it may have been Mengele or one of the others, uh, one of the other star, Hitler's superstars. Yeah. But he, uh, the all-star team into, um, personally opening up the cans of Zyklon B and pouring them into the little chimney of the gas chamber. And he used a small chisel. Oof. Another possible reference is um, what more depositions for, he says, which could refer to a lot of things, but probably, you know, the Nazi, you know. The trials. Yes. Yeah, that's an obsession of his. And dictators are an obsession of his. Um, The cruelty and abuse of power by people um, and the way that I think that what he's really into is trying to think about what that's like to to do when yeah. you don't know when you don't care when like what is it to be taking pleasure in something like that and these disgusting images which have some relationship to intimacy and courtship and beauty are for our perspective you know heinous and perhaps for these perpetrators that it doesn't sound heinous to them yeah it's just you know business as usual or it's art yeah it's like these these nazis who you know allegedly would make lampshades out of human skin or whatever it's like yeah their their version of science and uh exploration is to involves mangling other people but uh to them, it's the higher arts. Getting insulin from, from pigs or something. or Yes. Science, a mix of that science and, you know, Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel. Nothing clears a room like removing a brain. That line is in here, which also apparently may be a reference to Yosef uh, Mengele, who apparently liked doing that. But it's also a great fucking joke because <laughs> uh, it's obviously gross to remove a brain and you wouldn't want to see it, but to remove a brain is like to eliminate somebody's thinking brain. Yeah. Nothing clears a room. Yeah. (laughs) Like removing a brain. Uh, we, I, I guess I have to stop myself from getting into every lyric for (laughs) your sake. There is a moment on this where if you're in the, the theater of the mind uh listening to it you can go he just said he said it because he says bish bosh yes he says bish bosh did you read his explanation of the where the title comes from yes (laughs) this is so funny i was like oh my i read it in written out in text and i was like oh man i wish i could hear him do the voice um because he's like well bish is uh you know, it's like slang, like get, my bitch. Yeah, my bitch. <laughs> he says, "Dis my bitch." Dis my bitch. <laughs> yeah, dis my bitch. You see, he he then goes on to say, "Yeah, bitch." Ba- it's several things at once, which yes. obviously that's his style. That's how he does things. Yes. So, bitch, bosh, as in like clapping your hands, like done, sorted in the British manner of like uh, moving. Right, moving on. Yeah. Right then. And, uh, of course, this is, like, an extremely laborious and 
thought out album which features like layer upon layer upon layer and so it's funny to call it that because it yes. was made quickly for him which is like two years <laughs> well one year to write and then two years to record i think yeah so you know lightning speed yes for <laughs> scott walker uh and then bosch of course hieronymus bosch if that's how it's spelled um and then he makes some comment this, about this was such a weird comment i don't understand what he means by this yeah i wanted to see if you thought anything <laughs> about what this could mean but that it there's an idea that he says is uh sort of essential to the record and i think exists in various ways throughout it of a universal all-encompassing artist woman artist and that is bish bosh and that's the perspective from which I don't know if it's the perspective or if uh, yeah. it's a character or if it's I think something of something suggested through the yeah you know. the way it's presented that emptiness that exists as the foundation for everything on the record that sort of void from which everything appears which we talked about I think yes. does suggest a sort of feminine aspect. It's like yes, there is yeah. that black hole of the receptive like, as as opposed to the like the the cabalic uh, idea of you know re- the open and receptive versus the you know masculine kind of the phallic um, yeah. action and fa- the phallic and the the thing of like action and um, transgression and such. But yeah, no, I do. I do guess I see that. Yeah, that that's definitely that's yeah, definitely that, interesting. I think we're on to it. Um, yeah, I really I think, do. And I think that there's something to the way that you can go into the darkness, which is a sort of a fear, and it's kind of the key and the sort of center of the record is that line is a line about dropping into the darkness and also this thing of the darkness from which things emerge. This the whole thing is vaginal. We didn't even touch upon the line. I'm the drowning in yonical tears. <laughs> yonical tears. I love that's one of my favorite lines in the whole album. <laughs> uh, which is accompanied by like a sound of it sounds like rain hitting a tin roof. Then suddenly there's hissing on the gumbo. I'm drowning in your tears. Also in the in See You Don't Bang His Head, he the the line about the cobweb, the melted cobwebs Melts within in the a room. room. Yeah. And yeah, I guess there is a lot of imagery like that on this album and also the egg you know an adam age-old egg yeah and he's it's not something that is new necessarily either i mean one of the most talked about songs and songs he's been most generous with discussing on the previous record jesse which is sort of a song about um 9-11 and also the stillborn twin brother of elvis presley kind of linking those that there it is. I mean, this sort of ima- this imaginary friend that Elvis apparently spoke to, which was his dead, stillborn twin who was buried in an unmarked grave. That is just as much 
something that could exist on this record um as as a a symbol or a poetic image yes and i think like also i kind of want to talk about like one of the big differences between this and like tilt and the drift and it's that um i think like this has a lot more you know peaks and valleys in you know the loudness and the it's it's a lot more explosive at parts and like punctuated by like um i think there's a lot more like rock deconstructed like um heavy metal like tropes in this like the very beginning the first thing is that like almost like black metal um double the, ba- the kick drum double kick sound. drum yeah we didn't even talk about there there, there are these really heavy metal like guitar riffs that pop yeah. up which go so hard yes it's so good Does that happen in Corte Blanc or is it? No, it's in phrasing. It's in both. Yeah. What's your relationship and your familiarity with those other two records, with Tilt and The Drift? I've, I think of those two, Tilt is the one I've listened to most, but definitely not even close to as many times as Bish Bosh, which is my favorite, I think. Just See, me too. Yeah. But the tilt is, uh, it's interesting. I think a lot of people hear, uh, listen to the drift more. Um, that's like yeah. kind of the most listened to, but the drift, I think is his most beautiful of the three. It has, a f- I think more of a focus on beauty than, um, the other ones. Well, it's definitely the most composed feeling. To yes. Me. Yes. Tilt has this more of a deconstructed rock instrumentation feeling where it's like, it's like a rock band, but they're all in a different country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but then the drift, I find the most like kind of just, it makes me feel the worst to listen to. Like yeah. by the end of that record, I really feel kind of just in a bad. It's melancholy. It's the most melancholic. I think it's disgusting. Like yeah. the mood that it creates is really evil. And <laughs> yes. And and just like kind of, ri- it's rich that one in a way that's kind of like it ugh. feels decadent. It's like eating a huge cheesecake, and then it's that feeling after that you get and of being yeah. like, I'm never going to eat cheesecake ever again in my life. The fat <laughs> black crocodile on the sandbar. Yeah, there's some just horrifying moments on that record. But yeah. We're not here to talk about that. I, in a way, though, Bish Bosh is lighter. It's like yes. breezier. It has, it, it definitely is much more, the pacing is not as, you know, it doesn't feel like you're in terra incognita, like 150 degrees, like, um, under, like trying to cut through like the jungle. It's, it's more like, you're in a a void of you know a, a void that you can move quickly through, but like you don't know where you're going too quickly. Yeah, know, has a quality of being cosmic in this way that feels really disorienting 
it is lighter in the sense that it feels disembodied. Everything yes. about it feels um, like you are for brief moments in a place and then you're somewhere else and there's no actual corporeal travel. It's just you exist somewhere and then you exist somewhere else. Whereas uh, the drift I think is really more about um, being in an, a, an atmosphere. Each song is like being in a place with some exceptions, but um, with, it really builds up an atmosphere. I think Tilt does that too for each song. Whereas these songs feel like they kind of just throw themselves together, which is perfectly apt for the title. Yes. Toss themselves into existence. Yes. It's it's like a flash inside of a, you know, a series of flashes inside of, you know, it's like a sheet of jewels, <laughs> horizon to horizon. Yeah. The ending of, of Cor de Blois is a very, very deliberate and slow sound of of an axe being it sounds like the pit and the pendulum yeah slicing ever closer to your neck yeah it's it's this this panning like doppler type sound that um is like a very slow escalation and um it's it's yeah it's like a blade out of the darkness and you can't really escape it if it, yeah, there's an inevitability to it, and you wait. You were with it longer than a lot of these other sounds, like just alone with that sound. Yes. Not to double-bladed axe poised over shoulder. And then we've got, I think what you might be your favorite based on what you've said is phrasing. It's one of my favorites. I really do love this one, though. I really love it. Pain is not alone. Pain is not alone. Pain is not alone. Yeah, pain, uh, it's this sorry. very slow dirge, of, like pain is not alone. And then there's this time stretched to the point of being unrecognizable um, kind of sound that comes in of like, it's it's like a, a time stretched violin or something. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's definitely like very warped and labored kind of sound not alone pain is not alone i love for one i really love the part where like the claves come in and it's like suddenly just a very upbeat kind of dancey <laughs> number that's 
out of nowhere. Yeah, that like that 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 I just love the lyrics from the South. The clan sends roses, limp lacquered nails hover in wafed autumn sun for, for dragging, dragging down the, down back, the of back of summer. summer. It's fucking so amazing. From the South, the clan sends roses, limp lacquered nails hover in wafed autumn sun for dragging down the back of summer from the east come killer poses cruise just you beats a black tattoo in the middle of the day from the north flow floats with quivering virgins Fresh from frozen catacombs Did you spot the die-cut crosses? Did ya? Did ya? The the song has this, uh, it starts with a really common thing throughout the record. Kind of these, like, chittering little synths that feel like s- sort of insectoid or yes. um in in other parts of this trilogy especially on the song Q which is sort of the centerpiece of the drift there's this idea of vi- virus or of of things existing as organisms ways of existing that we can't begin to comprehend yeah, like biomechanical this biomechanical yes. like hr geiger st- type stuff yeah yeah neath a protein moon in a protein sky running protein fields with my protein eye protein <laughs> there's a protein song howling through the meat driving protein bods from my protein street it's so good. It's like uh, this cataclysm in an alien world, kind of. like it, This song kind of reminds me of the movie Angel's Egg, weirdly. <laughs> I've never seen it. It's, it's a really incredible movie. It's by um, Oshii, the guy who did um, Ghost in the Shell. But I don't think it's... There's almost no dialogue. It's like an anime movie where this girl is like moving through this like... HP Lovecraft like horror like it's I'm looking at like a swirling black staircase studded with these sort of eye like things yes and it's it's just this like cataclysm that has occurred in this like v- extremely alien world to the point where like you d- you just have to accept that you don't understand anything that's going on or anything that you're seeing but like the, wow. besides the simple idea that this girl has this egg that she's trying to protect from like ghost whales and like all this crazy shit you know stuff like the clan and like khrushchev and stuff like that it kind of does like ground it in more in our reality but like 
some some of these lyrics kind of remind me of that. That line about the from the north flow floats with quivering virgins fresh from frozen catacombs. I'm looking at what the pictures of that movie too, and it looks. I definitely see why it reminds you of it. It it's familiar enough. There's like ruins of familiar looking human structures, yeah. and then there's things about it that do not really appear human made. I think I think the movie is what the video game Dark Souls was based on. Wow, or inspired by a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really think that those uh, from software games are the only truly artful video games currently yes, in existence they're, they're so good they're so good the design and art direction in those is so um actually uncanny in a way that like i think that there's this thing that happens in horror movies and like horror movie fandom and just anything that has like the pretension to being like macabre which is that people really get confused about something looking cool versus something looking scary yes and they know that something they know when something's scary it it has to be like weird enough there has to be like some element that's t- sort of softer than it should be yeah like in uh pulse when the the ghost is like dancing towards the the guy that it's yeah like exactly that's not how you would think like a scary ghost would move immediately but it's like so you know in, insane and beautiful and like yeah genuinely yeah actually shocking um yeah it, the the song feels true in some way the protein thing like it, it kind of asks you to think about how you perceive and the thing of the protein eye the protein street everything you see is being filtered through your body through your flesh uh your your brain it's all meat like you're not seeing anything experiencing anything that's not been filtered through meat yes it's all meat all the way down so if this song is about that it's kind of suggestive of some other way of experiencing life that is not dependent on that yes and i think there's this suggestion that uh, any other way of seeing is also like might also suck. <laughs> yeah, it might also <laughs> like, suck. Yeah. The protein moon in a protein sky running protein fields with my protein eye here's to a lousy life here's to a lousy life Here's to a lousy life. Here's to a lousy life. It, the the ending here's to the here's to a lousy life reminds me of one of my favorite Beatles lyrics, which is um, in "It's getting better all the time" when they say it's getting better all the time, and the uh, background um, the other Beatles are singing uh, it, can't it can't get, get no much. worse <laughs> yeah. yeah totally <laughs> it's so good.
<laughs> have to admit, yeah, that song, which also is like, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart yes. from the things that she loved. I always thought that song was like more disturbing. It's like 51% disturbing, 49% yeah. pep. Yeah. And this this song is just like, get rid of that 1%. Knock it back. Yeah. In fact, take two <laughs> yeah. off. It's, it's worse. Yeah. It's more bad than good. We need a majority share. We need majority share holdings. And I think that's a perfect setup to really, I guess what we're about to talk about is like. Really the centerpiece, kind of. What maybe one of the greatest works of art of all time? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So you know, I'm just gonna take a stab. We're both gonna take a stab. This is not something that either of us are gonna figure out. It's like talking about Ulysses. All of this is, but yes. like this song is um, it, it SDSS fourteen thirteen B. Zircon, a flagpole sitter. Yes. It's, which is like the longest song on the album by like a factor of two. It's 21 <laughs> minutes, 41 seconds. Yes. And there's not a wasted second in it. It's so dense. There's so much in it. Should we talk about like what the main character is and what's yes. going on? Okay. So I actually have in Sundog, there are some helpful annotations. In the spring of 449, great year, uh, historian <laughs> Prisus, Prisus writes of being part of a group of high-level envoys who'd been dispatched from Rome on a goodwill mission to the court of Attila the Hun. He reports back of attending a banquet where the main entertainment of the evening was a stuttering, lisping, Moorish dwarf jester called Zircon, who the Huns found to be hilarious. <laughs> He had two holes where a nose should be and hobbled around on deformed feet. He had the sense to turn these deficiencies into assets and became a living legend. Attila derives from Atta, father, in both Turkish and Gothic, plus a diminutive Illa, it means little father. For Romans, the barbarians alike... Oh, there's more things that will pertain to other lyrics down the line, but... Yes. Flagpole sitting... Flagpole sitting was a fad in the early early 20th century. The fad was begun by a former sailor, Alvin Shipwreck Kelly, who sat on a flagpole either to dare a friend or as a publicity stunt. His sit lasted 13 hours and 13 minutes. It soon became a fad with other contestants setting records of 12, 17, and 21 days. Imagine how bad of a sailor you have to be to invent flagpole sitting and still have the nickname Shipwreck. (laughs) You have to be the worst sailor. That's like the second biggest thing he did. And the first biggest thing was wrecking a ton of ships. (laughs) And then I guess the last thing that you need to know is that 30 January 2010, starstruck astronomers from the University of Hertfordshire have discovered what is possibly the coolest substellar body ever found outside the solar system. The discovery, a so-called brown dwarf known as SDSS 1416-13b, has an estimated temperature of 500 Kelvin or 227 degrees Celsius. Very, very cold star. Not hot for a star. It's, not he's hot not hot. 
<laughs> he's not hot, folks. He's not hot. He's cold. <laughs> They're saying he's the coldest star of all time. <laughs> I felt him. He's cold. He's ice cold, folks. You can practically touch him, and he's a star. <laughs> What kind of star is that? Exactly. And that's the question asked by this song. What kind of star is that? Yeah. There's there's so many layers already. It, like, and we haven't even read a single lyric. There's already, it, just in the title of this, um, Moorish Dwarf who, like, ascends a, a pole, and which is the, the, the plot, kind of, of the song, is yes. him, Zircon, ascending a pole, and then eventually making it to space and becoming a a brown the coldest brown dwarf yeah, star. Failing. Uh yeah. Failing up. But he becomes a star. He still becomes a star. Shoot for the stars which... and you might just still end up n- near the moon or whatever they say. <laughs> you miss one hundred percent of the <laughs> You miss one hundred percent of the stars you don't shoot. become. <laughs> yeah. Um I I think Basically, we can paraphrase that. I mean, that we're on, we've said everything that is known, more or less. But Scott Walker himself has talked a lot about this song for him, um, talking about a song, and he said, "I wish I had the quote right in front of me, but uh, something about it being an attempt to transcend that fails um, for a kind of transcendence by." this ambitious character uh, uh, who I think we can sort of read as a stand-in for Scott Walker himself. Yes, absolutely. There's something which I don't think I've seen anybody make the connection to, which maybe I'll bring to our attention later. Um, it's, it's a connection to an older Scott Walker song, which I think is really obvious when it's brought up, but I've never seen anyone bring it up before. Um, I'll save it as a treat after we have our vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> How does this song start? Well, it starts very quietly, almost like the way I picture it is like uh, in Joker when he's putting on his makeup and like mumbling to himself in the mirror. You know, I think it's it's Zircon kind of practicing a little bit and slowly like hyping himself up you know practicing his insults because he's like a goofball who insults people and there's i think it's him like kind of ramping up to like and the higher it's like he's doing his job and also climbing this flagpole and it it kind of becomes an attempt to escape the wooden palace of attila the hun which is Yes. Uh the set and setting for part of it. Um the it starts with jokes. Yeah. It starts with goofs and spoofs. Um yes. be, and a, a so, sort of a celebrity roast of Attila the Hun by this <laughs> uh as I think you're totally on to I I also think it you're, that it's sort of him saying these things that he's going to say. Uh or there's a, it feels like that. But it's punctuated by utter silence. Yes, complete and total silence. There's almost, there's like no musical accompaniment until the first chorus comes in, I don't think. I have a question for you. What do you think of the the Roman numerals that appear? Oh, I do have an answer for that. Okay, because that, that's really the thing that puzzled me the most about this song. I know 
I was like trying, I was like, are these phone numbers? And I was trying to type them in, but I couldn't find them. They are phone numbers. Uh, So the funny thing, this is one of the things Scott Walker has divulged, is that this first scene, I guess, for lack of a better word, takes place in in the wooden palace of Attila the Hun, which Zircon uh, sort of understands to be, thinks of as a massive toilet. And so, based on this toilet thing, it's like numeral. It's like it says things like for Lavinia, who goes like Gynazoon, and then a, this string of Roman numerals, a phone number. It's like for a good time, you want your cock sucked. It's that. Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> Gynazoon is a um, an animal that has been trained uh, apparently an ancient Roman if I'm correct thing of an animal that has been trained to fuck men I guess <laughs> um, for a Roman who's proof that Greeks fucked bears um, <laughs> the, those are actually like graffiti so on a bathroom like, wall. Yeah graffiti on the toilet stall. <laughs> yeah in Roman numerals. <laughs> to play fugues on Job's spam castanets. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. That's so good. Yeah, for the God citizen damn. whose joke lays in their hand. Um, and uh, the, the beginning, which has the, that period of him sort of talking to himself, or those jokes being said to no one, or to an unapproving or distant audience. If shit were music, you'd be a brass band yeah one of the funniest and best lines in the whole the whole album it ends with uh know what you should get an agent why sit in the dark handling yourself oh oh, this is my job I don't come around and put out your red light when you work. What's the matter? Didn't you get enough attention at home? If shit were music, la da da, la da da. You'd be a brass band. Know what? You should get an agent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why sit in the dark, handling yourself? (laughs) 
XI VIXI I I VI For the sins whose joke lays in the hand I VI I really love the the one of my favorite things about this song is the timeless kind of like the marriage of like this thing that takes place in ancient you know this ancient tale that is nonetheless has all these modern things in it like the very first line is about uh, a red light like a prostitute like every single verse is so fucking good there's something uh, yeah the timelessness which is I think one of his greatest gifts uh, as a artist is that he reminds us that at any point in history, the same kind of mechanisms are at play in the human spirit or lack of spirit. There's this kind of eternal sense of humor that does exist. There's, there's desire, there's just being horny existed always. And being stupid from being horny always existed. Being disgusting, and this lack at the at the center of being that you're that you have to try to transcend, and that every you will probably fail. Yeah, <laughs> and the 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 line about you know what you should get an agent. Why sit in the dark handling yourself is exactly like on like fucking X videos when it, it'll be like. Stop jerking off. Why don't you fuck hot milfs in your area? <laughs> yes. And then you get that. Like it's it's really like this game will make you come in 13 seconds. Yeah. Hot hot local singles in your area are looking to fuck. Yeah, that and then you <laughs> actually get home. that. Um with those yeah. phone numbers. <laughs> yes. Keeps going that device of those numbers. Yeah. Until flush hard it's a long way to Athens. <laughs> One of my favorites is one of my favorite lyrics in the whole thing is um, drop kicked coloraturas fouling my ears. It's so good. Drop kicked coloraturas fouling my ears by passing an anorexic sky. Scar jumping grafters, Korean crime. How can you stoop so high? Coloraturas are like, um, like in opera when soprano opera singers like sing over each other in like a layered to get like kind of a layered effect. And I think like it's I'm on Genius.com, so this isn't for me. But <laughs> the um, it's like the birds as he's climbing the pole, the flagpole, <laughs> like screaming at him. Yeah. And it's also this thing which I think is played around with on the whole song about that character, this this dwarf crafty artist who who knows he has some kind of like special destiny, who's kind of like Frasier. Like he's an elitist. Like he actually is yeah. also like kind of a detestable snob. He's like Brian Griffin. Yeah, he's, Bri- <laughs> he's exactly. He's Brian Griffin. He's just like drop kicked color tour like fouling my ears yeah. and later he says ah my noblest music and it's kind of like this sort of like brian griffin character 
is like gets gets his, gets his comeuppance later. <laughs> I think the song is also saying, in attempting to get further up to transcend as an artist, you are also getting further and further away from the, your audience. Yes, you are getting to a place where they cannot see you. And for Scott Walker, this feels so personal. Like to think about. I, yes, I mean he is. He is in that place now. Uh, he's reaching the. St- he's gotten to the stars, and yes. it's a place where nobody knows he's there. And he is. His music is less accessible than it has ever been. I was gonna say in the last, like the the big turnaround when everyone starts like yelling at him. The last, the very last phone number that they say is his own phone number, um, Zircon. Because he's like, it's, uh, hey, buddy, give it up. Hey, pal, come down, join the living. Wanted a lisping, hobbling, noseless runt. I-X, 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 I. Wow. I never put that together. Yeah. <laughs> and then they start yelling insults at him. <laughs> well, next verse. So either it's not really his number, it's them just mocking him with the numbers in a way yeah um the bar 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 thing um is a reference to the the sound of the where the term barbarian comes from that apparently it sounded to the the people who came up with that that of just bar 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 basically blah 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 um which is also a reference on cord of blah just blah 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 um yeah and the person who comes up with that is kind of someone who thinks of themselves as above who's below them. They think of them as being below them. The flagpole sitter is somebody who depends on the attention of an audience that can't really, might not, might just forget you're up there. Yeah. Or it's not exactly exciting. Look up at you and just be like, like, who's this fucking idiot? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a terrifying moment where he says that bit about, did you ever throw your own mother's food back at her? Oh, yeah. He starts screaming. He starts screaming. It, it, it sounds, it's like tripled. Like the vocal sounds like garbled in this horrific way. Um, um, the, geni- the quote for this one, there's not a lot of genius quotes on genius.com. But I could probably add some, actually. Yeah, we should. And, um, but for this one, the note is, supposedly a quote from Louis B. Mayer, co-founder of MGM Studios, <laughs> which does not do a lot towards explaining. It's, I, what kind of I an unnatural it, son would do that to his own mother? Yeah, the whole thing. Do you ever throw your own mother's food back at her? Did you ever tell her, take that junk away? What kind of an... Un- I mean, that does maybe relate back to the universal artist. Yes. This mother that creates something that gives it to you, and you say, no, it's not good enough. Yeah, it, it's very much like Zircon is uh, ignoring this great mother figure of Bishbosh that, you know, the world is born from, but also is climbing closer to her than ever while kind of ignoring her because he's going up into space and is going to be is getting further and further away from the the earth, you know. Whoa! 
above the sands Stranded high upon his pillar Thirty summers, thirty winters His constant visitor, his mother But he'd stare into the distance Ignored her calls from down below Did you ever throw your old mother's boat back at her? Did you ever tell her, take this junk away? What kind of an unnatural son would do that to his old mother? The tasteless one above the bantam Who couldn't climb or run Your helipolis is scrap heap Gone the brown slug of your tongue It ends with that section of being of greasing that pole behind me so no one else can climb up like I want to be the only one who's up here yes and I think I think another thing that's very Scott Walker about this is that I think it's um uh as I think part of the um the silliness and goofiness and like potty talk in a lot of his songs is maybe as like a mechanism a defense against like snobbery or being accused of being uh you know a being accused of being pretentious and it just has not it doesn't work yeah as well as as he's you know but it's all he knows now and he's just like it's just who what he is and like what his songs are and i um, and him kind of recognizing that with everyone else screaming like his own obscenities back at them. Come on, join the living. You're so boring that you can't even entertain doubt. Is one of my favorite. Yeah, uh, that is a really, really interesting point. Is that if this is a sort of self-flagellating song, um, a song about being self-conscious as an artist, which I think it is. Yeah, it shows that. Even your most sharpened self-consciousness, to make that into the most heightened and poetically cohesive and deep and layered expression as you could possibly achieve, is to make a fucking 21-minute and 41-second song with an incomprehensible title that nobody can fucking understand. (laughs) And a Yo Mama joke in the middle of it. (laughs) Uh, And... The end of the song, I think it implies right before he becomes the star that he's fallen off and he's being approached by the people on the ground at his like his flattened corpse or his dying body. And they say, uh, I've looked high and low for you. I guess I didn't look low enough. Don't move. I want to forget you just the way you are. I really hope your face clears up. You know, I think you've got nothing there. And then, sort of taken out of his corporeal form, having failed physically, he becomes this astral projection of himself in in space. And it's kind of this this thing of like... He becomes a star. Even in your dreams, (laughs) you're like the weakest star that exists. And you're, you're dying. 
Um, yeah. The this there's a really really funny one of the genius notations in the song is, um, a notation on. But where's the electrons squeezing all around, burning up my life, squeezing all around? Oh, it's over, only freezing all around. Which is such a beautiful lyric. And the, the genius notation is this huge paragraph that starts with the line, A quick lesson in astronomical theory. Wow. Well, <laughs> Brown dwarfs, such as the titular. And it's like this huge what explanation does it say? of like, it says, um, Brown dwarfs, such as the titular SDSS 1416 plus 13b, form when protostars of very little mass are unable to retain enough heat to jumpstart hydrogen thermonuclear fusion in their cores. The gravitational contraction that allows for the retention of radiation heat reaches an unbreakable threshold when electrons within the mass of interstellar dust and gas become far more closely packed together than is ever natural for such particles, causing an outward electron degeneracy to occur. At this stage, what little heat the dwarf produces is radiated away, and the failed star cools indefinitely. Ego ruining somebody's artistic ambitions yeah density becomes so great like what you think of yourself becomes so great that nobody can care about you anymore yes yeah that where's the electrons as if like where's the public where's my where's the big hug that i I, i'm supposed to get for being so special yeah it's like you retreat into yourself so much that you like you become like so unnaturally cold because you've just retreated so much into yourself. You've lost any connection with the world, with the world of the living, with these people who you see as barbarians and they see yeah. you as a delusional freak. Yeah. You know, he, they liked him as a comedian. It's, it's the thing of a comedian who decides to be a serious artist and fails at it. Yeah. What about the, we like the early funny ones. Yeah, like exactly. Stardust Memories. Uh, <laughs> he um, also there's a bunch of he repeats a bunch. Your Nibelung can't be found. Nibelung, yeah. Um, it's that's from um Wagner's The Ring, The Ring um, cycle. Yeah, Ring cycle, and it's like a golden ring that's like crafted that um I guess like people are hunting for. That um, so he's telling them he's like climbing this pole to achieve enlightenment, and then I guess like shouting back down to the the people below, like you'll never find enlightenment, you'll never find anything that um, and but also another layer is that the knee blowing in um in the ring cycle is crafted by dwarves. Oh wow! There, well, it's like it's the inspiration for Lord of the Rings too, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And he's so selfish that he can't. He thinks that their salvation is created by like people like him. He can't imagine their salvation as anything other than that. So he's like, your your, you know, your uh, enlightenment can't be found. Like you're screwed. <laughs> It leads to what else? But having removed yourself from an audience, it it is the perfect expression of this record's themes in that it asks, like, 
what's the purpose? What's the meaning of art with no audience where you are the only one who, who cares. And I think he cares more about the audience than he'll ever admit. Yes. And this is why he fails. Yes. It's so, it's so sad and beautiful. It's so cold infrared. Yeah. It's like, it's like the sun, a sun up there being like, no. (laughs) It's the opposite of Um, lucky old sun. You know, the song where it's like he, lucky old sun has nothing to do but roll around heaven all day. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the failure of the lucky old sun. This is the the sun ain't gonna shine anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And to that point, referencing an older song, which I think Yes, what was what were you referring to? Okay, so this might blow your mind. You know the song 30 Century Man from Scott 3. Yes. So I'll just read some of the lyrics to you. This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go. Your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your Tidal's, your Instagram's, and any other streaming service of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy. With unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes, getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. See the dwarves and see the giants. Which one would you choose to be? And if you can't get that together, here's the answer. Here's the key. You can freeze like a 30th century man. Oh my god. Holy shit. <laughs> dwarves and giants, you know, terms for different kinds of stars. Yeah. You can freeze. God damn. Play it cool and saran wrap all you can. I, I, there's got to be a connection there. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. See the dwarves and see the giants. Which one would you choose to be? And if you can't get that together, here's the answer, here's the key. You can freeze like a 30th century man, like a 30th century man. I'll save my breath and take it with me until a hundred years or so. Shame you won't be there to see me. Hands with Charles de Gaulle. Play it cool and saran wrap all you can. Be a 30th century man. You can freeze like a 30th century man. Like a 30th century man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And there it is. It's like his most famous song is maybe 30 Century Man. And it's such a weird song to have caught any sort of attention. Yes. Just another layer to one of the great works of art of all time. Yeah, one of the, one of the best songs ever. It's so fucking good. It's un- indescribably good. Infrared, infrared, I could drop into the darkness. It's so cold, infrared. What if I freeze and drop into the darkness? We've only scratched the surface. Yeah, we could have done the whole episode on this. Song, Absolutely, really, and it would because we did not do all the lyrics. Yes, there's so many. There's so many like incredible autistic Scott like history references going on, you know, and lingual slang. <laughs> yeah, well, slang. I mean, to move things along, just first of all, I. Again, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> like, oh, of course, we are really deep in this now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, slang is the uh, sort of essential to the next song. Episodics. Episodics. Uh, that title hinges on slang. Yes. There's an interview he did uh, with John Doran and the Quietus, and. Uh, Talking about the song, he said, quote, Yes, I'm going back further beyond the beatniks, back to the hipsters, back to the days of Cab Calloway. And they would say, Epizootics, and click their fingers. <laughs> Some people would naturally presume that I would be talking about the study of plague, which is what the word means literally, but actually I was using it in the same way as the hipsters used it, to mean cool. I wanted to reach back to this idiomatic language they had. Zoot, like zoot suit, is in there. Yeah, yeah. It's that uh, milieu, like boss and daddy-o. Yeah. What's the secret gay language called? The secret gay language? Yeah, there was like a secret gay language that like gay guys used to use to talk to each other. Polari. Polari? Yeah. That sounds like a Scott Walker word, if ever yes, there was absolutely. one. I'm sure he uses it in a song. <laughs> Episodics, um, a lot of the lines in this really remind me of um, Alex in A Clockwork Orange, the little phrases that he says. Yes, 100%. That's also a kind of um, slang uh, vernacular, anachronistic language. And I think that's actually a great comparison because i think that the hipsters idea is like the droogs in clockwork orange a sort of self-styled group who use slang to set themselves apart from society it seems like that's more the way he's using it here but for what it's worth the word itself means a kind of outbreak of a disease that i think is way faster than expected yeah, I think that's what it said. It's like a 
a disease that spreads quickly through a po- an animal population or a human population. Yeah. Um, and this song is kind of a, a Hawaiian. It's his tiki bar uh, nightmare. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, there's like a racial element, I think, to this song. I think so, yeah. Mama Neho was frightened by Hawaiians. Did you see the music video for this? It's a great music video. It's so fucking good. It's so beautiful. It's really amazing. Um, I watched it again today, and I was just really taken with how, uh, just how artfully it kind of like, what it doesn't, doesn't try to do. Yes. Um, it's black and white. There's one color shot in the very There's middle. like two. There's the one of the, yeah. like a body and the grass. And then there's a spider on a, a close oh, shot of a spider, spider on a is... navel. They're like, it's so scary. I hate the spider shot. Um, geez. What to say about episodics? What, what did you think when you first heard this? This is the first song I heard from the record, I guess. I think I, when it was announced this is the hit single oh my god i well i was like the my first impulse is like i have no fucking clue what's going on and then but it's it's a really a strangely a strangely groovy song yeah yeah (laughs) i really really love like musically i think this is the most accessible song on the album well but lyrically i think it's the least accessible (laughs) i think it's like I, I, lyrically, it's it's got some things that um, are quite accessible as far as imagery. But I, I mean, in that book that that we were talking about by Scott Wilson, it it sort of mentions these things which I didn't catch, which actually are totally there in the video and in the sound and in the the lyrics themselves. Which is that it references kind of like Harlem in the mid century. Yes, that's definitely. Um, this thing of I think that's this racial, yeah, yeah, um, greasy black hairlines. One of my favorite lines is "Adipocer in a zoot," which is uh, that's like the substance that forms on a on a corpse. It's this like waxy soap-like substance. This like waxy corpse soap guy strutting around in a zoot suit. An incredible image. Yes. Uh, and uh, knock me, boot me down in the land of darkness. I think land of darkness was some kind of racially motivated terminology used to describe Harlem. Hinkty dinkty, he says. <laughs> it's very, it's like um, that part in Gravity's Rainbow where they're in uh, Roxbury. He says payola at one point. In Gravity's Rainbow? And no, in this, and the genius annotation is old usage for a light-skinned African-American. Oh. I actually don't know if that's a slur or not, if I should say that. Jeez. Uh, melanomed ankle? What is melanomed? I thought of, like, melanoma, or um, melanin. A type of skin cancer know? develops when melanocytes, the cells that give skin or its tan or brown color, start to grow out of control. Okay, yeah, there's definitely some kind of racist uh, character, I think, having a nightmare maybe in this song. I think maybe... There's something of 
sweet Leilani heavenly flower at the end of the song. You know, that, that's a real song. It was a, uh, a song from a Bing, by Bing Crosby in the 1937 film Waikiki Wedding. Okay, I'm going to shoot my shot for, based on evidence. Here's, here's one possible interpretation. That Scott Walker has mentioned the song in, as a Hawaiian nightmare. That this is the nightmare of a white woman watching that film in 1937 in a movie theater in Harlem and conflating her discomfort and hatred of black people with the Hawaiians in the movie. I think that's there's definitely something there and this like contrast between a white vision of other races that they romanticize and other races that they villainize and this kind of contrast and i think it's that a lot of that is in the music video where you know it opens with the beautiful slow motion of the hawaiian woman dancing very happily and then it ends with the slow motion of like worms raining down on a crying white woman it, it sure does <laughs>
Like souls of insects is a very in- insane line. Uh, what does it say? Or where, where does that come up? Um, it's in the fourth verse. The powder on a chalky bosom rises and hangs in the air. Clouds crawling through protracted blue like souls of insects from threshing haze, the scent of spider lilies. And I think that's like... Um, well, right before that, he's talking about Michelangelo. Uh, yeah, let let Michelangelo tiptoe around in his dogskin boots. There's an annotation here that it was really, really interesting. Uh, Michelangelo legendarily stood up to the powerful Pope Julius II, also noted for working so intensely that he neglected to change his dogskin breeches to the point where they bonded with his skin. That also sounds like a sort of uh, another racist thing. Yes. Something about working turning you into some kind of dog yeah person there's definitely a lot of that sam pease bagged decapitation sam peckinpah yeah Th- this is a reference to bring me the head of alfredo garcia <laughs> yes the sam pease bagged decapitation rotates to the ocean floor its nostrils are twitching and sniffing a, a movie which also is very much about a sort of callous disregard for life. Yes. Where a white, the white man is kind of a fish out of water in Mexico. Warren Oates is uh, tasked with finding this decapitated head, and in the process, uh, all the rules of society uh, dissolve, and life is very cheap. Yes. And to the point in this song, even to the point where they don't even say the name they don't even give alfredo garcia the the small you know consolation prize of having his name in the title of the of having his name in mentioned you know hmm. whereas in the title of the movie and here it's uh underwater and so we can presume not going to be brought to anyone it's like lost forever and also somehow still alive yeah. Okay, and having looked up the definition of piola, piula, I, I don't know how exactly to say it, uh, from the 1934 movie Imitation of Life, with a plot derived from Fanny Hearst's 1933 novel of the same name, has as one of its heroines a, quote, colored girl named Paola who passes as white. Um, in, in 1944, we've got Cab Calloway, New Hepster's Dictionary, uh, noun, a light person, almost white. Yeah, this is definitely like, I think, Scott trying to do the, the Roxbury section. Well, what, what is that section like? It's a section, it's a section in um, Gravity's Rainbow that is um, someone gets sucked into a toilet and spit out in Roxbury massachusetts which is like a neighborhood in boston Mm -hmm. that um is mostly black people in like in the like 20s and it's like described much like this as as kind of like um a nightmare for this character yeah i definitely see that uh the last section of the song uh from the alfredo garcia part till the climax uh, at the end is about as thrilling as 
music gets. Yes. Some peace begged decapitation. Rotates to the ocean floor. Its nostrils are twitching and sniffing. Let's just shift you over here. Sorry, I'm so clumsy. Take that accidentally in the bollocks for a start. Seven brides jumped in port, reached the city without sound. Carpacetic on the corners, pushing each other around. Everybody on the corners Pushing each other around Joe below, hinty-dinky Slip the pounders, fuse and tooth Knock me, boot me Down in the land of darkness Sweet Leilani Heavenly flower The Roxbury thing you mentioned, that that reminds me of, you know, the song Rednecks by uh, Randy Newman? Yes. When he says he's yes. free to be put in a cage in Roxbury in Boston. Yes, yes. Like, it's actually totally possible that he is thinking about 
Randy Newman and Gravity's Rainbow here, for all we know. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's nothing if not uh, culturally omnivorous in his references. In an interview around this time, he mentioned that he listens to everything. He keeps up. He was like, oh, I know Burial, and I listen to like what's on the radio now. <laughs> He's like, I keep up. Scott listening to Burial is... That's so cool. Also, apparently a big fan of Radiohead and Tame Impala. I'll listen to Radiohead. You know, I love Radiohead. Oh, uh, I love the Tame Impala record. Have you heard oh, of yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love that, yeah. that record, yeah. <laughs> you know, Scott Walker was the idol of David Bowie. Yes. And they both have this thing in common, which is that they, they do care about what's going on. I think some of the very best artists do. Sophie, I think, is like... Someone I think of as one of these artists who popped up way too briefly, but who was also like so intent upon like knowing what was going on right now. Yes. And absolutely. There's not many of those. Yeah. Those. You got to understand the zeitgeist so you can ride above the waves, if you will. So you can try to be, yeah, a flagpole sitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I think if there's anything we can say about the next two songs, it's that this is like, we, Ian and I on the podcast usually say like, wow, we're really in this record now. Like that's where the point we're at with Dimple and Tar. Like these are. Dimple is really, was really a very difficult one to try and. Yeah piece together what's going on the second the tar is even more difficult i think for me yes tar is. <laughs> we'll get to tar i think dimple has something that actually we've already touched upon i could be wrong of course but i think that it is sort of the closest we get to an actual description of that female artist deity or presence the this force in that book uh by scott wilson Scott Walker and the song of the one all alone. It refers back to a comment that Scott Walker made about the uh, concept of a dimple, about how it st- it stays the same place no matter how much your face changes with age. It's this absence that is always there. Um, the beginning definitely seems to describe a face. Yes, it's um, definitely the beginning is very. 14 bones held together by avian phlegm is one of my favorite lyrics in this one. Guess how many bones are in the human face? 14? Yeah. (laughs) Just looked that up on the internet. Yes. (laughs) 14 bones. Let's go.
like freshly crushed flies Fourteen bones held together By avian flesh Had, did have some insights for me. There's a lot of Danish things. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I love this made up word too that Scott makes up. Narcrotic. He used it in the last song too. Yeah. Narcrotic lays. I love narcrotic. It's like narcotic and necrotic. Yes. Intoxicated by necrosis in a reverie based on rot i why do you think there's so much danish in this song that is something that was talked about in the that book what are the danish words it's like the word for nothing it's hej do right i think it's hi do which is hey you that's in the um in the refrain when he's like inka dinka dink dink inka dinka do is a uh song by Jimmy Durante. Yeah, Jimmy Durante. Once upon a time they sang the Bodio Goat But that was long ago Then everybody started in to boop boop a doop They got tired of that, you know How do you like those guys? Everybody puts in extra notes I'll overlook it But the tune for you and me is that swingy symphony Dink, a dink a dink a dink a dink a Oh, what a tune for crooning Dink, a dink a dink a dink a dink a dink a dink It's got the whole world spooning Eskimo bells up in Iceland are ringing They've made their own paradise land Singing Ink A dinkity A dinkadoo A dinkadee Simply means ink A dinkadee A Um And then Jutland is the peninsula Denmark is located on Vine is Danish for scream Ingen and ingenting are Danish for no one, nothing. Legos get referenced. Those were invented by a Danish guy. We're... Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Danish. 
And the song Inka Dinka 2 uh, refers to Iceland, which was under Danish control for hundreds of years. Do you think it's like uh, maybe uh, Hamlet? Well, that's more dealing with fathers than... Well, if it, if it were about Hamlet, uh, first of all, that's a really compelling point because Hamlet begins with the words, who goes there? calling out into the darkness, uh, the guards wondering who is out there. And, of course, what is out there is the ghost of the father, the king. But, okay, I'm going to make a a big leap here. Maybe he's (laughs) talking about, you know, how in Hamlet the ghost of the father is not really known, like, what it is. Yes. Be it devil or... Hallucination. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, at the beginning of the play, Horatio, who says, uh, What art thou that usurpst this time of night together with that fair and warlike form in which the majesty of buried Denmark did sometimes march? By heaven I charge thee, speak. And then Marcella says, It is offended. See, it stalks away, says Bernardo. And then... uh, Horatio, stay, speak, speak, I charge thee, speak. Exit ghost, stage direction. So they don't know what this ghost actually is. Um, And what the song presupposes here is that maybe it's this sort of, uh, this woman, this universal artist woman. Yes. And in Hamlet, it's the appearance of this, entity that sets things off and you know emerging from the darkness just by its presence it creates this imbalance this uneasiness because something is there that shouldn't be there do you know what laurel lilies are lorelies yeah narcotic lorelies is that what he says yeah he must read so much imagine how much he reads to have like all these references to like um, five thirty four Roman historians being sent as emissaries, and then also like knowing how many bones are in the human face. Like, okay, here's another thing from the book. You're about to blow the blow the top off this. Maybe not that. Just adding, making it more complicated. <laughs> Jimmy Durante, uh, Jimmy Durante's novelty hit Inka Dinka Do. This song is an interesting curiosity in that it relates to the changing fashions of popular song in childlike phonetic notations from folo dio do of folk ballads and the boop boop bidu of popular jazz and swing and then current vogue for the dinka dinka do of the crooners that according to Durante's song are even warming the cockles of the Eskimo bells up in Iceland. The lyrics stress the element of lalation or lullaby that underlines much of popular song. Iceland used to be a dependency of Denmark, and it is the latter that provides the location and context of the song's second section, with various Danish words being sung in a higher, more sing-song register. Denmark is the home of Hans Christian Andersen, of course, the father of the modern fairy tale, which supports these simple childlike language and milieu of the danish speech that walker mimics i think i think our hamlet 
notion had has legs, but maybe it is a little bit more Hans Christian Andersen than uh, Shakespeare. Perhaps it relates to, I mean, not to just grasp at straws, but that's the name of the game here. <laughs> it considering um, the subject of epizootics, maybe this relates to kind of cultural, a, a kind of cultural colonialization of. Um, you know, songs and language being used in mm. other places. The song maybe, you know, with reference to his idea about this sort of constant presence, which is an absence in the form of a dimple. Yes. Like an actual divot in the flesh. He could be saying what we experience as these sort of popular song, sing-song uh manifestations that exist in popular culture, whether it's Inka Dinka Doo or Boop Boop Bidoo. It's a kind of constant presence of an influence from that kind of invisible female creator thing, which is kind of lulling us on some level into a uh, in to be in line with something. Yeah. Dink, a dink, a dink. I do a dink, a dink, a dink, a do. Huge snouts wedged between my thighs. Cheek like soft muffled scars. Tongues lick the lead leg oh, they won't be denied. If you're listening to this, you must have survived. My only pee past your only drive. In Jotland, sheer city. Also, don't forget, um, didn't Scott Walker live in Denmark for a while? Copenhagen. Where's Copenhagen? Yeah. Well, he has a song called Copenhagen. Yes. So maybe he's referencing that, too. Yeah, I'm really starting to think that that's something. Those sweeter-sounding parts in this song even do kind of recall some of the texture and feel of that old song from Scott Three, which I believe was a love song written to his uh, wife and the mother of his child, uh, Meta Tegelberg. 
if I'm pronouncing her name right. That picture of them, like, sitting on a bench, you see? Yes, yeah. And they're kind of cheated out. They have a Foster's bag. Uh-huh. Might, yeah. Might be nothing, but it does, in fact, appear that she has a dimple. Yes, I see the dimple. I definitely see the a dimple there. I think we've done all we can for this song. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. We have. All, I gave you all the clues, Mister Policeman. That, that's what's going on here. I don't know which one of us is uh, Mister Police. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely one of the more. I think we've been doing a really good job. No, we have deciphering these so far. We fully have, and that's what I loved so much about that book, um, which I can't remember the title of. Um, I'll put a link to it in the description, but, um, you know, when it comes to Scott Walker, like you just got to try and you got to really put everything you have toward trying. And I don't think you're going to come away with nothing. I think we've, yes. we've discovered some things that weren't in that book. That book has figured out some things I didn't think about. It's like a co-op. Like we all got to try to figure this out. All 12 yes. of the people who <laughs> listen to these records. Also, um, Dimple has one of my favorite um, sounds. The way it starts, you mean? The way it, at the, towards the end, the kind of undulation. In the lowering left testicle night. (laughs) Yes. In the lowering left And now we get to Tar. I just want to note, I think comes at really, all these songs are kind of sequenced in a really, really good way, I think. Um, Yes. Like Dimple actually does feel like it's the time to get toward like a suggestion of what's at the bottom of all of this. Yes. It's a hint at what is kind of animating everything. Um, The whole beginning section is kind of leading towards Zircon. Epizootics is a perfect hinge point which kind of brings it back toward like an individual and their fantasy nightmare and then dimple goes back into sort of the spirit realm and then tar kind of puts the focus back on our role in understanding things the human role in a very beckett kind of way yeah 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 yeah, yeah. what i saw in tar maybe this is because i went to Catholic school and read the Bible, but a lot of the lyrics in Tar are him pointing out discrepancies and contradictions in the Bible. And I think, like, it, it gets to, like, back to the first, the very first song, those contradictions and uh, kind of dichotomies and, 
you know, epizootics, this romanticization and demonization of other races and cultures mm-hmm. and the the thin walls between between dogma and nothingness. Yes. Whistle goes up ahead. Up ahead on the El Greco grunt. God creates man and an animal bitch. God creates animals and man Jackaroo in the saloon Let its tinnitusted needles so back shine Baby made of towns all up ahead Up ahead on the lean bronchial Jacob's offspring in Egypt totaled 70 Hogwash Jacob's offspring in Egypt totaled 75. Contritio, patricio. Let the leashes strain sustain those jaw joints surging. Oh, sure, I kind of wonder if the swords or the knives as percussion is sort of a reference to like, like sort of literalizing how we slice up information. Yeah. And also like the danger of like reading, um, taking anything too literally or too seriously, anything you, you read, you know? Yeah. Jacob's offspring in Egypt totaled 70. And then it says hogwash. Jacob's offspring in Egypt totaled 75. Contritio attritio. What does that mean? Contritio attritio. Because all these interjections seem to be like, basically, if he had written it now, it would have said cap. Yeah, it's literally, it would be like, that's cap. Um, and he actually does say GTFO. He says GTFO. Exactly. <laughs> That's so why. Yeah. I mean, they're all like these. I just wonder if contritio attritio is like a uh, sort of another. I think that means contrition and attrition. Which like um, contrition is like penance for something through um, 
like peaceful means whereas attrition is like through like loss and pain kind of you know like a war of attrition and being contrite that's what i assume yeah it's like i wonder if those interjections um are kind of like the voice of that sort of universal mother character sort of calling bullshit on these attempts to make sense of the universe by by people through religious uh dogma like jacob's offspring in egypt told 70 no 75 no and then it ends with this like it, then it, it says oh shucks oh gee like ah oh, gee oh shucks like maybe yeah. maybe i don't know what's going on yeah okay i i looked up um contritio and attritio and it it is contrition and attrition in latin and contrition is the christian concept of being sorry for a sin and demonstrating it and attrition is the concept of being sorry for a sin but not doing contrition and there's really not much of a difference between them but they mean completely different things there's an idea of interchangeability in the song as well uh which that seems to support the first chorus has the lines god creates man and then animals god creates animals and then man bilge yeah i mean there's so many of these sort of interjections hogwash booty chatter booty chatter is a really funny one another one that's like my bish (laughs) it's like (laughs) scott walker ebonics (laughs) um and then there's these things of thrushy tongue lolling up ahead, uh, just more kind of grotesque body images. The the measurements from heel to heel, I think, I think is a reference to Noah's Ark. <laughs> so is he doing like the Spinal Tap thing where they order the wrong size of the yes. uh, of Stonehenge? Yes. He's like, yes. oh, it's supposed Stonehenge. to be feet, but it's inches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like the arc is tiny. What is this? An arc for ants? Fuck. (laughs) Okay, so I just, I think I actually have an alternate explanation here or potential meaning. Uh, Looking up just those numbers, 27 and 45, those are the ones that he says 27 inches from heel to heel and then 45 inches at the end from heel to heel. I don't know what the fuck, I don't know about the heel thing, but. In verse 27 of the book of Genesis, God creates man in his own image. Oh, shit. So that pertains to the God creating man and then animals bit at the beginning of the song. And then in the 45th verse of the book of Genesis is when Joseph makes himself known to his brothers. And then Jacob finds out that Joseph is still alive. And that pertains to the number of Jacob's offspring in Israel. God damn it, dude. <laughs> so, you know, take that however you want. Yeah. Also, the last line of the song is one of my favorite in the whole album. The final final line. Yeah, there but for the grace of God goes God. Yeah. It's a conflation. It's like a total senile interpretation of the Bible. And I think... You know, this song, like, it's stuff like this that makes me, you know, to, we can talk about how, like, interesting all this is, but 
the reason why it's great art is that like literally today as we record this in October of 2023 the kind of senile misinterpretation of something that's supposed to be very important is like top of my mind yes it's very very uh it's it's very omnipresent in our world today i think and you know he'd be writing songs about it and absolutely he really was and is someone who like was trying to write songs that addressed the mistakes we're gonna make in the future the ones we've made the ones we're making yes there's um he references donald rumsfeld in a song in this album we didn't talk about it but there's a line on zircon where he references ronald reagan grostulating gorby requires fresh packing yes (laughs) just packing gorbachev's shit with his cock right yeah i think i do you know why it's called tar is it because he he predicted the movie tar (laughs) i don't think uh it's that but i i think he would have liked the movie tar Um, i think he would have loved it it's it's a great movie it's fantastic honestly one of the few films i've seen that made me think of scott walker's approach to art like really yeah Absolutely. The amb- the ambiguity and the the unflinchingness of it. And the ghosts that kind of exist within it that aren't even like yes. the main part. They just are part of it. Yes. It's a great fucking movie. God damn. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think Tar, why it's called Tar. Maybe it's because tar is something that's used in building, but it's useless on its own. Oh, that's true. It's something that is part of creating the structure of our world, but it really, on its own, is something that means nothing. And in fact, just a pollutant. It, it, it just gets on you. Yes. And it burns forever. It burns very toxically. Also, we think of it, though, as, like, it's the thing that makes the road. Yeah. That's my guess. Absolutely. The righteous should flourish like a palm tree. The righteous shall perish, and no man layeth it to heart. I swerved away into the dark. Forty-five inches from here to here. Forty-five inches from here to here There but for the grace of God Goes God Pilgrim is, is the next song Yes Really one of the more straightforward songs on the record Yes This, um there's a reference to have you ever seen the um 
Philip Ridley movie, The Reflecting Skin? No. Um, there's the the opening of that movie. The very first thing that happens is there's um, these two kids in like rural America, and they blow up a bullfrog with a straw until it's mm. like really fat and big, and then they use it to prank their mom and pop it, and uh, they're like laughing. She'll be coming any minute now. Hurry! My turn to blow. Is not. Is two. Is not. Shut up! Who's got the reed? What can I do? You can hold the frog. I don't want to watch. I watched last time. Shut up, Avon. Watching is nothing. Avon, just watch. And I do think that's what he's referencing here. I, um, I, Jesus, I mean, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think you, I think probably. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, it has Viggo Mortensen. It's a, it's it. a really fantastic movie. There, 1990. He, he also has another movie called The Passion of Darkly Noon, which is um, incredibly good and also shockingly bad um, at simultaneously. That stars Brendan Fraser, Ashley Judd, and Viggo Mortensen. Wow, he was like Vigo's. Vigo is part of his like stable. Oh yeah, Vigo is his man. Vigo is his go-to. When he says blowing up bullfrogs with a straw, he he dips into this like country boy twang. Yes, it's very it's very reflecting skin because that's that movie takes place in like very extremely rural America, and that's kind of like part of the. The point of the movie is this, like, you know, there's nothing to do there <laughs> except for blowing up bullfrogs. Yeah, it's kind of this, like, half-wit, uh, hazy, dullard voice. Then the other thing about the song is that it, it's about, I think, a reference to Calhoun's, uh, the, the Calhoun mice experiments in the 1960s. Are you aware of those? Yes, that's the one where they made the mice, mouse the utopia mouse societies. Yeah, and yeah, they went horribly wrong, and they were eating each other and stuff. That's right. Hey you, hey you, hey you, hey you, hey you, hey you. Room full of mice, room full of mice, room full of mice, room full of mice. Hey, 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 Room full of mice, room full of mice, room full of mice, room full of mice. Blowing up bullfrogs with a straw. Blowing up bullfrogs with a straw. Blowing up bullfrogs with a straw. Staring into their eyes just before they burst.
John B. Calhoun, American ethologist. Ethologist? Eth- what's an ethologist? Is that uh, study of animal behavior? John B. Calhoun, born 1917, died in 1995. Uh, it was this really bizarre, vast experiment of mice in an enclosure, rats at first, and then mice, um, where they were given basically everything they would need to survive food, uh, protection against disease. Um, and the only thing that was really kind of, uh, unnatural is the confines. They were cramped. They were in cramped quarters. But the weird thing was they kind of ended up being more cramped than they'd need to be. They kind of like ended up in these, they moved toward these kind of sections where they would congregate. Um, and yeah, basically what happened was like the dominant of the, the mice or rats would, uh, be established. And then there'd be these kind of creepy incel cultures of other mice (laughs) who either just sort of raped the, uh, like indiscriminately uh, male and female or, and cannibalized or just kind of like had nothing to do with anything and just kind of wandered around and, they were called the beautiful ones, these mice that like had nothing to do with anyone and nobody noticed them and they didn't really interact. They had no purpose. They were called the beautiful ones. Yeah, they wouldn't procreate. They, and so their, their coats were immaculate, but they were completely socially void. Interesting. And some people interpreted the experiments as like, oh, this is just exactly how people are yeah it's not of course exactly a coral uh, corollary it's not, yes not that accurate malcolm gladwell ass shit yes some total yeah pseudoscience we consider the lobster type beat precisely yes but i think what the song is kind of saying is it's it's kind of talking about both those things it's talking about like the quickness to prescribe that kind of behavioral model and also how stupid it is. It's kind of a critique of these scientists as little yeah. cruel little monsters. He says room full of mice like he's so excited. Like room full of mice. Yeah, he's he's psyched for this room full of mice. The southern twang is gone, but it's the same kind of creepy cruel child yeah it's i think it's like what he's another like interpretation is he's saying that this experiment does tell us a lot about humans but what it tells us isn't that they're exactly like these mice it's that we love to torture animals (laughs) yeah it's it's like we it's talking about i think the humans who are experimenting and the scientists who are experimenting but it's saying pretty clearly that the thing to notice here is that the people are doing this but and that's what they think is important that they're fixated on yeah. torturing the smaller organism it's re- it relates to corps de blas and uh f- some of the stuff in phrasing it's like very mm-hmm. these themes that he goes back to of like human cruelty 
and human ambition of yes. this thing of like, I'm going to be the one that figures this out. And, you know, that can be the artistic ambition of Zircon. It can be the chiseler wanting to personally open the fucking can of Zyklon B. Yeah. It can be the scientist who has a room full of mice or is exactly the same as the fucking boy in overalls who's blowing up a bullfrog. Like these attempts at grandiosity which ignore the cruelty inherent in them are like that's the folly that's the thing and the comparing of animals to humans it happens again a lot on epizootics where it's very racially motivated in that song and in this one it's very it's just uh in general and it's also racially motivated in this too because those experiments were famously about like oh um humans can't live in cities because like they'll they'll eat each other alive and they become insane and stuff and you know who's the who are the people that live in cities the most it's like oh i wonder and that's kind of like epizootic yeah exactly which i think i think more than I realized, you know, before talking about it, I think we kind of ended up landing on it being really a song about racism. Yes. Epizootics being like this thing of, oh God, they're they're multiplying. We're infected it's infectious. Yes. Like humanity is a disease, like race is a disease, kind and of And the fear of jazz. Yes, the total fear of jazz. Famously, Hitler did not care for jazz. One of my favorite, um, in, um, I think it's even in The Jazz Singer. There's a part in The Jazz Singer where one of the dad, the dad of the girl is, um, you know, um, yelling at her. And I think he's like, um, dressed like either a, a Hasid or like an Amish guy. But it's, you know, there's only sound at the singing parts in the the jazz singer so the original the yeah. al jolson jazz singer yes 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 and so there are title cards and one of my favorite title cards is in the jazz singer and it's um the dad yelling at the daughter and he's like i won't have you hanging around some jazz hound <laughs> i just love the some jazz hound is such like a great and uh, great turn of phrase that is like so you know what's the scariest thing you can imagine oh it's uh someone who plays jazz wink wink you know (laughs) yeah yes and in i'm just noticing in epizootics when i clicked back there is references to like um spanish conquistador ships that um in the caca fuego yes which means fire fire shitter shitter. (laughs) yes the galleon caca fuego which i think was the nickname for one of the fastest galleons um in 1579 she thumbs that she hitchhikes onto like the fastest genocide vessel (laughs) yes (laughs) like just get me on yeah get me on this shit i want to begin on the ground floor here (laughs) uh so then we're yeah we're back at pilgrim it also has that heya, heya, which is kind of yeah. this like breathless enthusiasm, I think is sort of what yeah. it sort of suggests a kind of like the idea of the savage, but like actually the characters in here are white. Yes. They're clearly white 
Yes, it, it's kind of evocative of a Native American, stereotypical Native American chant, kind of. Like what the white people think they're doing, the savages, like around some horrible ritual fire. Yeah. But it's it's these scientists and probably the scientist as a, as a youth just kind of cruelly experimenting on lower life forms. Yes. And then no ear, two tails, one eye, three toes is the refrain at the end. Yes, and it's repeated three times. It's like, wow. It's kind of like, oh boy, that's interesting. And it's this awful yes, outcome. It's, it's almost like a cataloging, a cold, like like writing down, uh-huh. you know, going through the corpses of all the mice. Like, oh, no ear, two tails, one eye, three toes. Like, They're inbred to be these deformed, fucked up mice. And it's like... How fascinating. Or or even like um, seeing this mass of mice that you're torturing and you don't even see creatures. You don't even see mice. You just see like, oh, there's two tails. There's an eye. There's three toes. Like, yeah. Just, it's just body parts. Yeah. Disembodied parts. And those really are the only lines in the song. It's very simple. It's the opposite of of mice and men. I mean, it's it's like you know, of mice and men. It's like about the gentle idiot who wants to love and destroys by accident. This is about the cruel idiot who destroys, trying to see something. Yeah, hang on, let me see something. I just want to see something. <laughs> I'm trying to see something. <laughs> Blowing up a frog. Yeah, it's it's like it's a combination of of George and Lenny is what you get with yes. this song. It's like the the idiocy and the sort of cruel uh inventive tenacity and you get this yes. This character. the ultimate American. <laughs> you arrive Truly. at the ultimate white American. Yeah, the pilgrim. Yes, the ding, pilgrim. Ding ding ding. <laughs> Yo. There Let's it is. Fucking go. <laughs> That's <laughs> Let's fucking go. Discovering a new land we've gone across <laughs> yes. in our in our ship and we are thrilled to discover this opportunity to pervert and fuck with yes nature and the people and the beings we think are beneath us. Room full of mats, room full of mats, room full of mats, room full of mats. No ear, two tails, one eye, three toes. No ear, two tails, one eye, three toes. No ear, two tails, one eye, three toes. You know what they say, never ask a doctor how we know the human body is 70% water. <laughs> <laughs> Because the Japanese figured it out, and they figured it out in a pretty bad way. <laughs> the last song, we're here. Hessa, we've made it. We did it. Um, this is, I think, one of the most incredible songs in Scott Walker's discography, in yes. his career. And it really is the swan song of this trilogy. Mm-hmm. The Day the Conjugator Died, an Xmas song. Yes. 
Isn't it about Ceausescu's uh, execution? It is. Um, yes. I didn't know much about that, but I sent you that video. There's like a BBC documentary about it. And I was totally amazed because I didn't know anything about this. Lost to time for like most people. I don't know if you watched that or like read up much on it, but the president of Romania in the 60s basically like came to prominence off of something genuinely good, you know, sort of being like, we shouldn't get involved in this war. Yes. And just took it to the bank and made himself into like Hitler, Hitler, Jong il. Yes. <laughs> There's so much going on here. Yes. It's it's kind of this um final cataloging of the life of like you said about dictators and his preoccupation with evil and you know how it's born and how power kind of corrupts and um it's like a perfect follow-up to Pilgrim and also a perfect ending to this album and perfect. I didn't watch the video, but I did read up a little bit on Ceausescu and, um, and on the, you know, the, you know, there are some notes here, like, um, the multiple choice. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's presented as a multiple choice quiz, like a, like a, personality quiz yes complete with bubbles that are yes. not filled in <laughs> yes. you can fill them in yourself well this the thing that struck me the most about learning about Ceausescu was and his wife was that the kind of main feature of their particular brand of iron-fisted rule was this total vanity and artistic expression. They forced the entire country of Romania to make this theater that celebrated them, sort of like how we know North Korea to do. But like, if that was the only thing North Korea did. Like North Korea, what if they didn't have a big military? And that, you know, that's kind of their main event. The yes. theatrical stuff is pageantry around a show of force. Like they do actually make more sense than this, but what the deal with Romania was was like they he slipped into this situation, and the biggest thing he could think to do with it was this kind of grand countrywide theater about himself and, and his pa- wife. and the palace too the crazy one of the craziest buildings ever built biggest it's, palace of all time yes uh, biggest so- palace existent. It's so crazy and ugly and unwieldy. And yeah, you think that like Donald Trump's apartment is like, it, this is nothing. Like, it looks like an evil casino. It really does. I watched a whole um, podcast episode about the construction of the palace. So you know that it was made with no imported materials? Yes. <laughs> Every last stitch of it was made in the country. Like, they forced people to, like, Money was just like basically all the money that went for shit like that was so that like it, people didn't have plumbing. Yeah, people had they to wait in food. lines for food. Yeah. yeah, and it went on for a long time. 
until 1989 Christmas Day. When yes, and there are some beautiful, evocative Christmas sleigh bells in this song, too. At <laughs> the very the end. Throughout. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the song is a really profound, um, and it relates, I think, to the, the Clara song from The Drift. Yes. <clears throat> in that these are these sort of songs that are about romance but fixate on fascist romance it sort of suggests that there's nothing more romantic than these theatrical fascist romances which make a point of making themselves the center of the world only to have everybody turn on them yes because you've turned on everyone else in the world besides your your lover, basically. You and me against the world. Literally. Which is an, another song, The Escape, which is a song about suicide bombers, which is also on The Drift. Yes. It also has the line, you and me against the world. That's really a huge part of Scott Walker's fixation, I think, with the, the, the fascist love story. And... What's really incredible about this song is that the way that it's presented as this quiz that's empty. It's like asking you if you have what it takes. <laughs> it's asking you what what makes you think you're not capable of that. Yes, exactly. Not so much, very much. I am back again and again is nobody waited for fire yes which is based on the fact that when nikolai and his wife elena were executed nobody waited for the order to fire they were so excited to, to kill them <laughs> they were just like fucking <laughs> yes. finally they just there was no pageantry to I mean there was a show trial there was a semblance of order but not enough to make it so that they're like going to wait for yeah that. and that line nobody waited for fire I thought a lot about um 
because it's it's about I think it alternates. I don't know if you thought this. I'm curious to know what you think. My thought was that it alternates in a way that is not spoken, but that it'll say nobody waited for fire, nobody waited for fire, and nobody waited for fire. And I think that some of those are about the people who are shooting, and some of them are about the people who are waiting to hear that they say it. And they are nobody now. Oh my god. They are waiting to hear that they're respected by the order, and it doesn't come. Oh my god. And those are two different thoughts, but it's the same words. Mind blown. That's, I think you're on to something there. And that's a classic Scott double, double it speak is. It is. thing. It's only because he's taught how to read his lyrics that I've even would ever think to think that. Yes. But I really do think that there's something there, and it, it's supported by the idea that those bubbles are left blank. And then the other aspect of the song, which is one of the simpler songs, is when you turn in your sleep, will you roll across the path? And I think that that is kind of saying... What makes you think you won't be born as that person? Like, you think that you are better than these people who lorded their sovereignty over you, but would you not do the same thing if you were in their shoes? Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's a helpful note here from Genius. It says, Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu were originally buried on opposite sides of a path. Originally? Yes. Then they were um, exhumed, DNA tested, and reburied in 2010. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Opposites. So they probably just buried him really quickly and then... Like with no, you know, fanfare on the other side, opposite sides of a path. So like they're separate, and it's like the question of like, will they come together? You know, in death, will they be united again? Does their love transcend the? What does their love mean, even though it's like infamous and horrible? Yeah, like. Do you decide that that means something or not? Yes. I think that's the question. And it's interesting that, of course, the whole song is is a questionnaire. And then you're left with that question. When you turn in your sleep, will you roll across the path? Do you decide that that love means something? Or is it just more cruelty worthy of being put down? Like a dog. Yes. And who are you to say that? A wild flower garden, an English garden. And nobody waited for fire. Nobody waited. Nobody waited for fire 
and nobody waited for fire. Nobody waited for fire. Nobody waited for fire. When you turn in your sleep, will you roll across the path? When you turn in your sleep, will you roll? When you turn in your sleep, will you roll across the path? When you turn in your sleep, will you roll? There are questions within questions. There are questions that like make have made me ask things of myself that I never would have thought of. Yeah. You see yourself kind of reflected back in some of them in a way that you wish that you're glad you did, but you also are like, it's, it's you know, to ask yourself these difficult questions. It's very, it's interesting. It's, there's, there aren't a lot of singers like that, that are musicians that can make you, you know, make you question yourself in this way. The last part of the questionnaire is... Uh, yes, the last question is a little crazy. I enjoy being bound by obligations, not so much, very much. And then in uh, italics, the mad dog swarming from her groin, you noticed, didn't notice. I have a uh, annotation here that I learned from that book. The mad dogs swarming from her groin is an enigmatic reference to the Roman version of the myth of Cilia. Scylla? And I'm not sure. And the reference to Megarian's account of Scylla's transformation from girl to monster. From Nisus, his daughter stole that purple lock and now fights down the mad dogs that swarm from her groin. And perhaps this is a reference to the image of the bish, the bish bosh, yes, the monster emerging from nothingness. Yeah, you noticed, it's, didn't notice. Yeah, did you interpret it that way or not? I think yeah. I think like um, it's kind of like. You have to ask yourself, I think this question specifically isn't directed at Ceausescu or his wife, but it's directed at the listeners yeah, of like, yeah. you know, if, would you have noticed, did you notice the evil when, um, like early when these two people took power or like when they were born, like, how do you notice that someone's going to be a monster? Like they don't appear as mad dogs, you know, they, um, they appear at just as everyone else. It's like it's all like all art. It's open to interpretation. Yeah, it's an open. It's an open uh, multiple choice test. But the very end, I, 
I just, for my own interpretation of it, you know, of it being two thoughts in the same words, mm-hmm. and nobody waited for fire, nobody waited for fire. You have two of those at the very last section. And there is a second one before it ends. You have, and nobody waited for fire, nobody waited for fire, nobody waited for fire. And then you have, and nobody waited for fire, nobody waited for fire, nobody waited for fire. And I think that the second one is them. I think that the second one is the two, is the couple. Waiting for them to fire. Waiting to listen to see. Or they're, or they're waiting for the volley, the actual firing of the guns to be like, they're just waiting for their death. They know it's coming. It can mean that they know that they deserve it, or it can mean they expect the honor of being given the liturgy of, of death, like fire. And yeah. you never know at the end what it really means, but I think it does say something that the subtitle of the song is Xmas and not Christmas. It's it's l- given less meaning by the Xmas. Yeah. It's given a little bit more of a sense of does it matter? Is it secular? Is it actually religious? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And I really love this as like a final song on the album. And it's like if you view all these albums as being like stand-ins for about characters who are stand-ins for Scott and the listener as kind of like a a self analysis of you know the flaws of his audience i i just love the final lines nobody waited for fire nobody waited for it it just things just happen Yes. Things just occur out of nothing. Yes. Yes. Final thing you hear is a glockenspiel playing jingle bells. Just jingle bells, (laughs) jingle bells, jingle all the way. Which is as far from the actual meaning of Christmas as you can get. Is just the jingle bells. Yeah. I really love... um... It's almost like the song for God, it's a Christmas song, like until the very end. It's like the the it's literally the Christmas song is in parentheticals at the end of the real song. And it's like um you know, like, oh shit, yeah, fuck. Gotta uh, make it a Christmas, Christmas song. Christmas song. <laughs> right, it happened on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how it happened. It was like, oh right, it, it did happen. Technically it was Christmas nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. I think that this song is really an interesting and like really meaningful mix of compassion and hopefulness and also like total nihilism. Yes. And in that it's like these people who shot the Ceausescu's, like they were freeing themselves of an awful thing. Like these, yes. these tyrants who were making life a misery and who were forcing everybody to bow down to their, like bullshit greatness their insane whims their total lies about themselves and it is it does mirror the zircon song you know this is like them freezing to death 
because of the density of their self-love. Um, and you can think about them as being victims, too, at, at the hands of these people. Like, not to make it a too topical, but, like, the, the, it's been so much on my mind, of that thing of, like, who is a victim and who is the aggressor. Yes. It's an eternal question. Just because you have been the victim and the hero and the underdog, it doesn't mean you're innocent. Yes. And it doesn't mean the other side is innocent either. Yes. And I think that, like, maybe part of why the the checkboxes are empty is this this song definitely does have like i'm realizing it definitely has a a tense to it and the tense is that it's taking place the actual parts that aren't the quiz are like in the past and it's like this could be ceausescu like looking back and realizing like oh i don't know how to answer any of these questions because like you know, I thought everyone loved me and I thought I was doing a good job, but now nobody waited to shoot me. <laughs> they, couldn't even, they were so excited to. And he's yeah. fixated on that fact and that idea, you know, of like, damn, nobody fucking waited. They, they fucking hated me. I can't answer any of these questions, you know, like. It's kind of like Zircon actually thinking about why it happened realizing realizing yeah it's the self-awareness that does not help you to be the star you wanted to be like if that song is about a self-awareness that you think will save you this song is kind of like a self-awareness that comes too late yeah it's it's either too late or it's like in a way a kind of closure it's like well no i was wrong yeah nobody waited for fire Tessa, thank you for, for doing this. Yeah, no, this is awesome. This is like uh, something that I've been wanting to do forever, for real. And I couldn't have thought of a, a better uh, companion to do this with. This is like really great. Truly a pleasure. It's truly, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's one of my favorite pieces of art of all time. And I have, it, it was honestly like such a pleasure to think about it in new ways and to like challenge myself to kind of you know pick it apart more than I had before because usually I just do you know very you know I, I discovered a lot of things about it and you illuminated so many things about it to me we could like we could tear up the fucking genius <laughs> lyrics <laughs> explanation page no, we'll just have the song. listeners do that. You, you guys got to yeah. get in there. We've, we we've done our duty. <laughs> yeah, we did everything we could. How many stars out of three would you give this record? Three. Four, if I could. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's the only four-star record I know of. Um, yeah. It's, it's truly so perfect. Yeah, it's something I'm forever grateful for. Like, when it comes down to the idea of this whole podcast like really i can't i can't it, there's nothing further than this in terms of like what you can do proof of the fact that it's possible to in the twilight years of your life made something that 
cumul- uh, cumulatively draws from everything you've ever done and goes beyond it. Yes. There's things in this record that draw from the early days of Scott Walker's career and take them so much further. Genuinely a gift to, to all of us. It's amazing. And yeah, I'm, I've truly like, you have to listen to this. If you, if you haven't listened to this, you got, you got to give it a shot and you got to give it a few shots. Even if you can, it, it's maddening that the more you listen to it, how much more you love it and how much more you are frustrated by it and enthralled by it and hypnotized by it and moved by it. I think it's good music. <laughs> it's good ass music. Jokerman.